Welcome to the Verity La Poetry Podcast. My name's Alice Allen. In this episode, Robbie Coburn and I had the opportunity to speak with Geordie Alberston. Geordie talks in this episode about the relationship between poetry and mathematics and the place of mathematical poetry in Australia today. We also talk about her poem Cobalt, which was published in Veritila in 2016, and she reads a beautiful poem by Don Patterson. We also talk about the role of writing courses in a poet's development. We hope you enjoy this episode. I know that you've talked about the relationship between mathematics and poetry before in print, but I thought possibly for the benefit of people who wouldn't be as familiar with your work, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you see that relationship and why you think it's so important. Sure. Um, I have to start by saying that the poetry-mathematics conversation in Australia leaves a little bit to be desired. Well, basically it doesn't exist. It's starting to. Oh, I've okay. seen a couple of books come out that, you know, are mathematical in some sense or another, but realistically we're about 60 years behind Denmark and France in particular, as well as other countries in Europe, and it's such a robust conversation filled with so many amazing possibilities and incredible surprises mm. because mathematics is the language of nature. It's how we formulate and talk about things that are already there. Mm. So it already is a very stable and just system to work with. And it's perfect in terms of um, generating poems if you break mathematics like, say, one particular formula, let's say um, um, a platonic solid, for example, you know, you look at how many vertices it has, how many sides, the angles, and those kinds of figures are so easy to translate into the three or four main components of poetry, being line count, stanza, metre, and rhyme. Mm. So it's very easy to... Um, to pit these two codes together and at the same time as them um, supporting and complementing each other, a, a particular frisson is created as well because they are such different codes. So, you know, you, you can have disastrous failures um, and also some strange and beautiful things can, can arise. And um, for me... I've always looked at a poem as um, something that needs to be solved rather than written. Um, and I love the fact that the word poem is contained in the word problem. Ah. Um, and as far as maths, broadly speaking, in my own life is concerned, I was always a real dunce, a total dunce. In fact, I got zero in fourth form, which is year 10, for maths because I just couldn't cope and during the exam I wrote out the periodic table in rhyme so I knew I wouldn't pass and the hours that my father spent with me at the kitchen table with my head in my hands it was just like a foreign planet I could not get past fractions that's when I stopped um, and then when I became more and more involved in music that seemed to be a bit of a um, sideways 
step into maths, if you like, mm. because music is a maths. Mm. Everything has to add up. Everything has a beginning and an end. Even if you know the anacrusis at the end, of, at the beginning of a piece, that has to add up with the two or three leftover beats at the end of the score. And you know, chords are like um, equations. Mm. And I mean, I could talk forever about that. But music was my way back in, and um, from there I found my way to Euclid, uh, whose famous treatise called Element uh, or Elements. Um, from ancient Greece is still used in schools today and it is the most beautiful book you can read it as poetry he has a very particular language with his QEDs and his thus and therefores and it's an amazing book to pick up as a poet even if you don't understand the maths so to answer your question I don't feel I've ever had a choice about uh, writing mathematical poetry it's not something I've sought to do, um, but that's the way it's always been. And out of 13 full-length collections and a number of chapbooks, there's only one free-form poem. <laughs> and that's in my very first book. Oh, I was going to ask, yeah. So why do you think it is that Australia is 60 years behind? What is it that is happening elsewhere that is not happening here? Or are we distracted by something? Yeah, or... Is it a cultural thing or is it Well, they are big itself? philosophical questions, you know. Of course. Whether it's the cultural cringe still hanging over. I mean, we are, let's say, 10 or 15 years behind America in general, or traditionally anyway, um, before we start to take up ideas in poetry. And the American poets are far more rigorous and advanced in general than what I read and see in Australia. Um, I do have my favourite Australian poets, don't get me wrong, and we have world-class poets. But in general, I feel it's a case of risk-taking that is not happening, that Australians... This is very general, very generic statement, but Australians don't like to take risks and they write a fairly safe kind of poetry. Mm. And I think also there's a real focus, an unfortunate focus on competitions and learning to write the performance and competition poem. Yeah, we'll be talking a bit about that on the way here, yeah. actually. Yeah. No. So you said your first, the only the only free free form poem you've ever written was that you've ever published in your books is your first book. Um, and with that in mind, in in the scope of Australian poetry, what what do you think is who are you writing for now? Do you think the motivation for a poem is primarily for yourself? Are you trying to solve the problem? Who are you trying to solve it for, do you think, when, you, when oh, you're me. writing it? Yeah. Absolutely no questions asked, but, always for me. But is it to push the boundaries of Australian poetry or just to push yourself, do you think? Just to primarily? push myself. You know, I've got a, a real curiosity about um, problems and I see every time I come to a problem in a poem... Um, I'm thrilled because that mm. gives me an opportunity to actually push further. Mm. My heart doesn't sink and I think, oh, it's all good, it's all working except for this little area, my God, what am I going to do? That's the area that excites me, you know, and I just work and work until I solve it. If I don't solve it, it goes in the bin. But I, I can't write for anyone else because who is that person? Are they yeah. male or female? Are they old or young or... Mm. 
fat or skinny or clever or stupid. I don't know who the reader is, so yeah. there's no way I can properly write for the reader. Yeah. I can only do it for myself. Hmm. It sounds like a very, the right reason to be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Could we maybe take a detour into the poem that you published on Verity La in 2016, Cobalt? Would it be all right to read that? Sure. Well, that's from a book that's coming out later this year with Puntran Watman called Element, The Atomic Weight and Radius of Love. And each of the poems is um, based on various characteristics of various elements of the periodic table, mostly to do with quite simple things like word count. You know, the word count of the first section relates to the atomic weight of the chemical and in the second section it equates with the radius of that particular chemical. But there are lots of other things going on which I hope and pray are invisible, just things to amuse myself and to make the poems as dense and as lyrical as I can, picking up on anecdotes about chemicals and history and story. But having said that, they're all love poems. So I will read you Cobalt. Cobalt. Conclusion. Following find in 1982 by local sponge diver Mehmed Chakir and 11 campaigns over 22,000 descends, the Uluburan drowned in the Mediterranean Sea at the end of the 14th century BC. Sea golden scarab inscribed Nefertiti. And amongst other treasures of this late Bronze Age trove, a single ingot of pure blue glass, proving such perfectness lasts. From Persia and Pompeii to Tang and Ming to the Congo and Zambia belt, you are my plenary blue. At rest upon fingers, tables of kings, you make love with eyes, make cats made of stone stare back. This is when I love you best, one stable isotope, eleven metastates, a church where the virgin locks out shock and we're safe. But sometimes the door divorces its hinge and cobalt the goblin gets a foot in. Oh, wobbly, wobbly, precarious psyche, stories packed with dirty bomb endings, everything starts turning black. Sometimes you weep way down within, and your tears fall silent like gamma ray ash. Your grief can wipe out the world. Sometimes you wail like a doomsday device, emit a steady, sad, sad pulse. But you always mend, and you always return, and you always remind, no matter how hurt, that mutual assured destruction spells the word world mad. Beautiful. Lovely. Thank, thank you. you. Um, yeah, it's a challenging one to read as well, so thank you. Lots of long breaths. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to play it on flute. The pronunciation of <laughs> some of the words as well. Yes. Um, I'd like to hear about the form of this and, and what it is that we're hearing. I know that you said before that there are a lot of things that you've put in there mainly to amuse yourself and maybe you don't want to go too far into into the structure, but I'd just love to know more about it. Well, each one of them, 
I think there's about 66 or 70, is pretty much using the same formula. Mm. The title is the name of the chemical. The first word begins with the symbol for that chemical, in this case CO, followed by a longish dash, and then you have that makes the word conclusion with the dash in the middle. Um, that first section is in um, third person and has a word count equivalent to the atomic weight of cobalt. The second section is in first person and has the word count equivalent to the, the um, radius of, of cobalt. Um, other than that, it's just picking up on various facts about the element. For example, cobalt has one stable isotope and 11 metastates. Um, cobalt the goblin is part of medieval history to do with cobalt. You can see the relationship with the name, um, etc. Wow. Wow. There's so much even in just this one poem. And there are, you said, 66 to 70 Yes, I can't quite remember. That's amazing. <coughs> the focus on form is incredibly impressive. Absolutely. Um, the way that you adhere to it when you're writing. Well, for me, it's, it's a, a liberty. Poem. If I had no form, I would just panic. It's really yeah. interesting when you're talking about Australia's um, tendency to settle for a, a, a simple kind of poem or a, a specific type of poem each time. Where do, you, where do you think this kind of poetry fits into the landscape of Australian poetry? You say that we're behind um, in, in a lot of ways when it comes to mathematical poetry. What will it look like, do you think, when it, we get a bit more advanced in that area? Well, that may not happen. You know, Australia focuses on other things, yep. you know, uh, particularly landscape. Yep. Um, we're still writing a lot about where am I, you know, <laughs> having only been here for 200 years. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I feel we're not even writing about who am I. We're really stuck at where am I, and um, and you see quite a similar um, parallel with Canadian poetry. Yeah. Um, going through the whole where am I business, and now they're into the who am I business. I've never thought about it like mm. that before. That's yeah. Wow. It's kind of writing from an Australian identity instead of a world identity, almost. Yeah, and and that's fine. And you know, I I totally admire people who can write a good free-form poetry. When I talk about mathematical poetry, it does not have to be divided into mm. uh, mathematical blocks and stanzas and things. All poetry is mathematical God. to some, you know, extent or another. And a great free-form poem works mathematically just as well as a great sonnet, you know. Um, so I'm not kind of trying to down anyone's writing. I think it's starting to sound like that. No. But I'm intensely critical, mostly of myself. Mm. Mostly of myself. The one country that um, that kind of intrigues me at the moment in terms of the quality of poets is New Zealand. Yes, yeah. Because, you know, this. I mean, they're not... We're the, they're the same age as us. Um, and yet they don't seem to look at Australia as big brother which you might assume they would until you go there. No, they kind of hear us. Like. <laughs> <laughs> they look towards Europe, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and that raises their poetry. They look towards Canada. They see themselves on the world stage, mm. whereas I think some of the issues here are still factional and still to do with Melbourne poets and Sydney poets. Mm. 
and this strange kind of um, sibling rivalry kind mm. of thing um, that I don't think does anyone any good. So do you think that the aspirations of Australian poets are more just embedded in these kind of um, ideas about what we should be writing about, just, ex- just continuing on the same kind of ideas? I really can't comment for anyone else, and I certainly know poets that write from the heart, mm. using the, the head, mm. using the imagination, yeah. um, and they're better poets than me, for sure. I could name 20, 30 off the top of my head quite easily. I think what worries me more are the writing courses, which yeah. are quite prolific now, yeah. and which didn't exist here 15 years ago. Um, and I'm guilty of having taught them for, for fiscal reasons for about 10 years. But during the first class of every course I've taught, I've said to the students, you should not be here. I don't want to be here. You shouldn't be here. You should be at home reading, 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 writing, writing, writing. It's the only way. If you're here looking for a shortcut, looking for me as your tutor to um, give you a to solve something for you it may work out that you end up with a better poem it may not but it is not the independent authentic way to 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 develop and own your own voice it's a solitary thing you know and and i think that a lot of people are coming out of courses many of them very talented you know, it's. I'm not criticising across the board. Mm. Many of them scarily talented, um, but there's a mediocrity that's crept in as well, just due to the numbers. I think yep. everybody seems to write, to want to write at mm. the moment, and all these courses are full to the brim, and they just kind of keep coming out. And if we look at what has happened in America, mm. where over thirty-five thousand poets graduate each year. <laughs> it's weird to hear the, the phrase poets graduate. Graduate to what? Yeah, that's <laughs> to a life of poverty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do? And know. a lot of it's very insular. And, and who decides if you're a good poet? It's just a weird... Well, you just get your certificate. It's a, you know? it's a, I think I, mean, I feel so fascinated and um, it's quite inspiring to hear the way that you methodically write, the, write your work on your poems. It's not... Um, it, and it's purely based on your own measuring your poems up against your own work, basically, and your own aspirations for what you want them to be. So it's kind of very interesting when you talk about it being a solitary thing um, when you write poetry. And it's one of the questions that I was really interested in asking you was about social media, because I understand you don't use any social media. Um, mm, have I got a reputation? How no, did you know I've, I remember reading it somewhere online, I think it was, oh. um, that you didn't have... Um, no, it wasn't like a room. No, it wasn't like, you know, I've been... Um, it's like a big um, it's part of your bio or anything, but just that I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen you on it. Um, well, I've been criticised a lot for not being on it. It frustrates people because they want to easily do an interview or yeah. or whatever it may be, you know, ask you some advice or yeah. ask for a reference or, or something. And No, I've never been on Tweetbook. I don't get it. I yeah. don't get the photogram one. Um, and it just seems to take up so much time. Yeah. And I'm an incredibly private person, you know. I could never do things like put photos of my kids out mm. there for the world. It frightens me, that whole thing. So, you know, in my own little way, I, I stay away from that. But 
I still feel like we're being watched, whatever we do and listen to. Mm. Was, yeah, so, I'm sorry if it was an invasive question at all. No, no. It's just, um, just um, I just because a lot of the poetry community now, um, well, in any kind of um, community or art form, it's very much online now. There's yeah. like, you know, a lot of people use, or well, people use, um, you know, social media as their only platform to even to put their work out. Mm. It's mm. a I'm just wondering, where, what do you, what do you think? Um, sorry, it's a, it's a big nasty kind of thing to think about but what what is the future of, of writing for people who don't want to put themselves into that that atmosphere they don't want to oh, i think books them. will persist books will for enjoy. a while yet hopefully as long as the world does mm. yeah Absolutely. i don't think we're that close to the end of books um but as for reading poetry though um i, I really can't respond to that you know it, it it's not like you can curl up in bed with a computer comfortably you know it's nice the sound of the pages turning and the tactile feel of the font and all of that stuff Mm. um i can't really talk about the online stuff i don't read poetry online myself um but apparently i am on facebook even though i can't access it because i didn't put myself there so i i've i haven't got a password or whatever you need but my son told me that I am there. There's no photo. It's just one of those grey ghost pictures, <sighs> and it's just a bit that they took from Wikipedia. So they nah. must be connected or something. Okay. So if you look up my name and Facebook, it is there. You're there. But okay. I can't get into it, <laughs> and I don't want to. So don't no. use that to try and contact Geordie. Well, it probably gonna, won't work if I can't access it. <laughs> it's not going to work at all. Yeah, you're so right about the amount of time that it takes up as well. Um, and writing a poem like this, I imagine, takes some serious time. Yes. Um, I tend to write uh, in the middle of the night, usually about three or four when I naturally wake up. Um, I was born with a, a sleep disorder, a severe sleep disorder. Mm. And I'll write until about six and then go to sleep. And then when I wake up, it's... Um, I can't remember what I've written and it's quite exciting it's like Christmas morning like wow. oh I wonder what I did I wonder what I did <laughs> and I open it and, oh my god <laughs> you know or else oh where did that come from because it's a, a funny time before the world wakes up mm. and it's dark and everyone's asleep and I'm still slightly in dream state that's the perfect time for me to write I can't write during the day I can edit mm. I can do that kind of work, but not write a poem. Mm. That sounds so beautiful. I, I interviewed another poet recently who also is a bit of an insomniac, and and he was talking about that that time when everyone is everything's quiet, everyone's asleep, and it feels like the whole world is just there for you. It's just me, the computer, and God. Mm. Sounds amazing. You had a poem that you'd chosen that was one that's been intriguing you recently. I'd love to hear about that. Well, it's Don Patterson, whom I am now going to call the Don after what Robbie said. <laughs> <laughs> the Don. I think everyone I think it's knows Don Patterson. Um, and maybe it's a bit surprising, but I'd be reading a poem that's lyrical rather than mathematical you know um emily dickinson's my favorite poet and then shakespeare would be next because of their 
geometry and precision and mathematics, amongst other things. Talk about Shakespeare before. We love big Shakespeare. Oh, the last sonnet in the Young Man series with the two parentheses that are blank, that is so modern. Uh, the hairs are standing up on my arms. It, it's an incredible thing that, is, that he did. It just really gets it better in you, in mm. your mind. Incredible. But I think everyone reads Emily Dickinson and Shakespeare. So Don Patterson is one of my favourite contemporary sonneteers. Um, having said that, this is not a sonnet. But I love this poem because it, it affects me physically, which I think all good poetry does. But mm. in this sense, it has a beginning and it takes me somewhere. And I feel the, the journey of it and I feel it when I get there. And that's pretty rare. So it's about a page long and it's called Lewing. When the day comes, as the day surely must, when it is asked of you and you refuse to take that lover's wound again, that cup of emptiness that is our one completion, I'd say go here, maybe, to our unsung innermost isle, Kilda's antithesis, yet still with its own tiny stubborn anthem, its yellow milkwort and its stunted kai. Leaving the motherland by a two-car raft, the littlest of the fleet, you cross the minch to find yourself, if anything, now deeper in her arms than ever, sharing her breath, watching the red vans sliding silently between her hills. In such intimate exile, who'd believe the burn behind the house, the straightened ocean written on the map? Here, beside the fordable Atlantic, reborn into a secret candidacy, the fontanelles reopen one by one in the palms, then the breastbone and the brow, aching at the sheer water's wail, the rowan that falls beyond all seasons. One morning you hover on the threshold, knowing for certain the first touch of the light will finish you. Incredible. Incredible. It's lovely, isn't it? He's so good. So he's Scottish, of course. That's where <laughs> Kilda comes in. I remember going to a, a rock concert at the Palais down in St Kilda and the first thing that the guy said, it was Beck actually, he said, so who the F is Kilda? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I've never thought about that before. I don't know who Kilda, Kilda. is. Mm. I've never thought about that either. And what did Kilda do to become a saint? Yeah, we'll have to look that up. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you mentioned a sonnet in there as well. I thought it might be um, a good idea just to ask you about that as well, seeing as you've written a whole book of sonnets and we were talking before about how, how fascinated you are by the form. I love to read a sonnet. I love to try to write one. Got, got any tips? Got any advice? <laughs> ah, well, always, first of all, give yourself permission. That's mm -hmm. a big one. You know, get the monkey off your back. Or, yeah. you'll, or you'll never get anywhere. There's a lot of hesitation with poems like this. Yeah. Mm. I think um, the Shakespearean sonnet is the most natural one to begin with because it, it looks like a human face. 
you know, Q1 is the brow, Q2 the nose, Q3 the, the mouth and C being the chin. And it actually looks like a face, which is why that sonnet we were talking about before, the last one in the Young Man series, mm. um, is so powerful because at the end of the day he's saying nothing or everything. It can't be put into words. So I find, you know, that's one of the great gifts that Shakespeare gave us was a, a fairly user-friendly um, shape to work with, even though there are lots and lots of rules, but for every rule there's a window of opportunity. Yeah. Um, whereas the Petrarchan is, is far more of a, um, you know, a logical sonnet. It, it's an exegesis, um, you know, it's a question-answer kind of thing. That's the way it's set up. Petrarchan sonnets seem to me to be a little drier, perhaps, maybe because they have fewer rhymes than the Shakespearean. Mm. But, you know, there are so many people in between, like Spencer and Wyatt and Sidney and Keats, mm. um, and the moderns, you know, like John Ashbury and Don Patterson, who have so much to say. And the sonnet is far from dead. You know, mm. it, it is a form that still keeps on giving after 700 mm. years. It's incredible. Um, at the moment, I'm working on 15-line sonnets, which are syllabic. It's mm. hard to describe, but English is not a syllabic language. Hard to write, I imagine, as well. Yeah, <laughs> very hard. Um, we have an accentual language, which means there are certain accents on certain words, as you can hear from what I'm saying now. It's a musical language, and that's why we have metre. But there are languages, you know, such as Asian languages and um, Russian and French that are uh, syllabic. Um, and to write... A sonnet with that's decasyllabic, um, but holds a, a normal poem, a, a normal sonnet within the fifteen lines, because the poems I'm writing can be broken right back, and you can see it as a normal fourteen-line sonnet. But because there's only ten syllables per line, whereas in a traditional sonnet uh, there may be fifteen mm. syllables or sixteen, because of you know, anapests and dactyls and triplets and things. You still have the five beats, which is pentameter, mm. but you might have more than ten syllables. So because of, um, again, pitting two things together, an alien visual and an alien way of counting with the traditional sonnet, is doing my head in, <laughs> but I'm very happy doing it. And... Um, it seems that this might be my life's work. I don't know because it's Amazing. very challenging. I've been doing it for three years and um, still find it an amazing challenge. And um, yeah, <laughs> the, the irony. I find a, a great irony. And you were talking about uh, teaching and learning poetry. I can't help but think you would have been an incredible teacher. Absolutely. Hearing, hearing you describe the, the structuring of your poems and the form that you use. That's what I was thinking as well. Oh. I personally am feeling very inspired by it, just, <laughs> just yeah. hearing it spoken about that way. Well, I still mentor one-on-one, -on -one and that's something I can enjoy because of the lack of nerves. You yes, know. yes. Um, but I, I had some pretty basic problems teaching, i.e. even getting there. You know, mm. somewhere where I'd taught for three years, I'd still get lost on the way, mm. you know, because I would 
just follow the car in front of me. I can absolutely relate to that. And instead of ending <laughs> up in Blackburn, I'd end up in the basin or something, and I'd just kind of wake up and think, yeah. where am I? You know, and I'd been there so many times. So if you can't get it together on that sense of reality, I don't think you can be a very good teacher. <laughs> but once you were in the classroom, I bet, I bet it was amazing. Well, that's just to remove the, yeah. the travel in as well as it would have been. Yeah, it's a deeply... Yeah, there are some practical challenges. And like you said, it's a drain as well. It's a drain of, of creative energy. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a copy of the weekly poem later, which is the result of all my teaching. Mm. Um, that's 52 exercises that's a good book, yeah. in closed and open form. I've got quite a few books to give you when you leave. And um, that was because I didn't want all the hours of teaching to just go down the drain, mm. you know. Mm. And also, because I couldn't ever find a book like that to help me with my teaching that I could just go yeah. to, have one exercise on one side of the page and three or four examples plus a reading list for each form, you know. So yeah. I just kind of put it all together and Puncher and Watman um, published it. Um, and I wish I'd had a handbook like that when I was doing it. And every teacher feels the same because you have to start from scratch every single week. Mm. And it kind of is a burden right from Sunday, like, oh... I've got to do this and, and then you get excited and you learn an awful lot from teaching too I can tell mm. you you learn more than you teach mm. um, but where does your own poetry fit in yeah. you know it's a question of time mm. Mm. I have a very obvious question it's, it's probably been asked of you um, before many times uh, if you we were talking about you know, being a poet now um, you know obviously there's writing courses and lots of things lots of approaches and the best teachers are obviously the poets themselves that you read but if you were going to be a poet, a young person trying to be a poet now, what what kind of advice or direction do you think that someone should go in? Um, well, that's a tricky question because mm. it's a very woolly question. Mm. A lot of people don't have a gift. You know, to me, you either have a gift or you don't have a gift. You may have a gift that's not an enormous gift, but it's a gift that can be developed. Mm. And... I do come across some young poets who actually don't have a gift and they it's, it's ironic and it's sad because they don't know enough about poetry to know that they haven't got a gift for that. And I've made people cry, you know, by just... Because I'm a very blunt person, I shoot from the hip. Um, and I have had to say to people, I think you should find something else. You know, I, I don't think there's enough here unless you're prepared to go and read and, yeah. and people are very reluctant to read they yeah. want to write three poems get the first <laughs> one published and oh, then, yeah. then they want some advice this which is, publisher to go to this you know? is exactly the kind of thing that we discuss all the time i don't know if we'll put this in but, oh yeah no um, <laughs> i was laughing because um, that is exactly the approach it's, just like, it's kind of like um people want to be celebrities before they want to be poets um which yeah. is which is the issue um which is feeling very inspired after hearing you say all the things you said um it's just amazing but i think yeah you're right that people want to be they want to be published before they they want to run before they've learned to walk and they want to win a competition this is the big one who cares i'd rather write a good poem and never win anything you know yeah Mm, then it's just yeah sorry (laughs) look i've just sent people away and said come back when you've written 40 poems Mm. not three you know Leave your ego at the door. Yeah. Take the monkey off your back. Mm-hmm. Write about what you know 
as Rainer Maria Rilke says, yep. don't try and make a Woody Allen film when you're no. not Woody Allen and you don't live in New you're York. Not, you're not Keats. And I know yeah. <laughs> yeah, Keats was Keats. What about what you know? Yeah. Whether that's the cricket on the fireplace yep. or whatever. Yep. Um, and just see how you manage the material, you know, because language is not everyone's deal. Hmm. There's painting if you want to be creative. There's gardening. There's, there's music. There's cooking. There's so many ways to be creative. It doesn't have to be language, and it might not be you, but it takes a lot of guts to um, accept that fact. But I tell you, it's better if you accept it earlier rather than later when you've put 20 years into something and it finally hits you, I don't have a gift. Because that happens too. But do you think that you haven't published anything? That's an, that's an indication? No, no, that's it, it, it is hard though, isn't it? Because it is, I agree that it is a relevant, but at the same time, it's kind of a good incentive to know that you're kind of hopefully putting you know, your feet in the right place. Look, it does help when you're having your first full-length book come out. A, a publisher wants to see an acknowledgements page so that it reassures them that they're not the only one that likes this poetry. Of course, yeah. You know, but as time goes on, it becomes less and less relevant to, to publish unless you want to, in magazines and journals and things. Um, I, I find it completely irrelevant. I, and to get back to Rilke, you know, his letters to the young poet, if you read that first letter, he says the worst thing you can do is show your poems to other people, and unless it's in a mentoring kind of thing. Should, but in terms of critics, that, you know, it's false. That would be good advice for a young poet, given that book. Um interview purposes. What what kind of things do you read? Do, do you read if you're, if you're looking at? Because you were talking about reading, and I agree. Reading is the first thing I want to know about any any, any writer is who they read okay. and what and what they listen to. That's easy. For breakfast, I have biography, um, and at the moment, that for me is it's just will sound poncy, I suppose. <laughs> it could be anything. I read biographies about anyone, whoever they are if they failed, if they succeeded or whatever, but at the moment it happens to be a book of letters between Paul Oster and J.M. Kurtzer. Um, some of it's quite dry, mm. some of it I feel is a little bit set up, like they knew they were going to publish it, but I'm also learning <laughs> a lot about yeah. things like male friendship and um, the fiscal nature of the world and all sorts of things. Um, I don't read newspapers, Um I'm not very good with the news. I do try to watch the news sometimes so that I can talk to normal people. Um, and poetry, I've always got on the go. At the moment, I'm, I'm back reading Inga Christensen, who's a Danish poet who inspires me a lot. She's one of those early mathematicians that I told you about. Her first book, Alphabet, came out in 61, I think, which is also based on the Fibonacci series as well as the alphabet itself. I'm not reading that one at the moment. I'm reading something else called It, or in Denmark it's called Det. Um, and that's pretty much it. Sometimes I have to squash a novel in because someone gives it to me and they want to, you know, it's a present and I need to tell them how great it was. It's not your cup of tea. Like, Try to find your online summary. You know, <laughs> So I'm reading uh, Ian McEwan's Machines Like Us at the moment, ah, yes. which I'm really enjoying, um, but I don't buy novels, you know. And biography and, and poetry is enough for me. That's plenty to get on with. Yeah, that's plenty. We're All of us, uh, for the benefit of the tape, are looking at Geordie's beautiful bookshelf filled with 
poetry and I can't wait to I'm not have gonna, a proper squeeze at that later. I'm not, not going to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just think as well, the, the thing that I found um, meant to say was, were you talking about when you, you did uh, your, your math test and you wrote out the periodic table? It's amazing how it's sort of come full circle with mm. using the periodic table in your work now. That's I think bizarre. that's just... An incredible success story, well, in a way. I was 14 then, so that's like uh, 43 years ago. Is that right? Or 33? I'm still I, not I'm good po- at math. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> I also relate to that as well. Like, yeah. I haven't done math since I was in year 10 or something Same. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jordy. Thank you. That was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for your interest and thanks for coming all this way right down to the Mad Max end of where we are. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs>